Hi, this is Pastor Robert Blanchard from Lansing First United Methodist Church here in Lansing, Michigan. I just want to take a moment to thank you for checking out our sermon podcast. And if you want to learn more about what we do here at Lansing First, or you want to support us in our mission of going deep, reaching out, and loving Lansing, you can do so online at lansingfirst.org. Thanks. Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 29 through 39. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening, at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, And there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Author of life, we thank you for your word and we ask that your spirit would be with us this morning to transform us in heart and mind and soul. Amen. As we continue to look at the story of Christ's life, as recorded in the Gospel of Mark, we pick up right where we left off last week. Being the action-packed gospel that this is, we're given lots to work with in just 11 verses. As soon as Christ expels the demon at the synagogue, he goes to the house of Simon and Andrew. There, Simon's mother-in-law is ill, but as soon as Jesus cures her, she returns to being of service. Then, that evening, the whole city comes pressing down on their door as those who are sick or possessed come to Jesus seeking healing. Here we see Jesus continue to silence the demons who would speak of the messianic secret for their own purposes. But where I want us to focus our attention this morning is on the second half of what we read. After just one day, Jesus has already established a pretty successful ministry for himself in Capernaum. He's restoring people to wellness so that they can serve him. He's healing people. He's expelling demons. And then, in the wake of all this success, Jesus withdraws to a deserted place 
so that he can pray. For just a second, the, the action in Mark gives us a chance to breathe and catch our breath as our Lord does the same. But it's only a second to catch a breath, as no sooner have we seen Jesus praying than his disciples come looking for him. When they find him, they tell him, hey, everyone is looking for you. Now this is great news, right? People are responding to his ministry. He's been productive late into the night, healing others, and now at the crack of dawn, there's more work for him to do. If idle hands are the devil's workshop, then Jesus has put the devil out of work in Capernaum. But what comes next maybe isn't what we would expect. Rather than saying, okay, let's get back to work, Jesus tells his companions that it's time to move on. What he says is, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came to do. And I'm trying to imagine what Jesus does here in the context of a modern church. And I just can't imagine too many people that would respond the way that he does. He's clearly found a need in the community of Capernaum. He could set up shop healing and expelling demons and do quite well for himself. But that isn't the point of Jesus' ministry yet. His name will be glorified in due time, but for now, the purpose of his ministry is to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near, to call people to repentance, and to convince them of the good news. That purpose has been fulfilled in Capernaum, and that moment that he took to be in prayer gave him the space to realize that truth. He didn't get swept up in the fact that his services were in demand because in communing with God the Father, he's able to remain centered in his purpose. So what does this mean for the church today? How does Jesus' example inspire us in our mission work? First, we're reminded of the importance of prayer. There are many different kinds of ways that we can pray, but for many outsiders looking in at the church, they might see prayer as us talking to a magic genie or a cosmic butler. They may have an idea that prayer is us simply asking God for the things that we want to have in our lives. Now, we know that prayer is more than that, but we can all probably admit to ourselves that we have had moments where we try to use prayer as a negotiation tool. God, if you do this for me, then I promise I'll start going to church more, or I'll start reading my Bible more. I just promise to be a better person. But Jesus' example reminds us that prayer is one of the ways that God conforms us to the divine plan of love and reconciliation. Prayer helps us connect with God through the Holy Spirit so that we are empowered by God to be freed for faithful obedience. As a result of this act of communion with our Creator, we are reminded of our own gifts and our own place in creation, as well as 
being reminded of God's steadfast love for us and God's promises to accomplish the salvation of the entire world. Prayer, therefore, is an action that prepares us to serve God more faithfully in the future. It grounds us in the peace, joy, and hope of God so that we can be centered on being the instruments through which God's good news is proclaimed in word and deed. The difficult part of this is that sometimes prayer forces us to set aside our own feelings about what needs to be done. Sometimes prayer can lead us in the direction that it led Christ in Capernaum. Sometimes the message that we receive is that it's time to move on and to let things go, even if they still look successful to us. On rare occasions, this pill is fairly easy for us to swallow. You've probably already seen either on our Facebook page or in our weekly newsletter that we recently made the decision that it was time to put Messy Church back on hiatus. We're thankful for the faithful few who contributed and participated in that ministry each month, but at the end of the day, it simply wasn't working out like we had hoped. The online experience just couldn't come close to replicating the in-person fellowship that that ministry was intended to build and maintain. In this case, we knew going into it that we were trying it out to see how it would go. We knew that we were taking a chance in trying to pull off a ministry focused on fellowship and relationships in this hybrid online format. So when the Spirit told us that it was time to pause, it honestly wasn't too hard to listen. That doesn't mean we won't ever return to Messy Church. It doesn't mean that our experiment wasn't worth a try. It just means that right now, in the middle of a pandemic, that isn't where the Spirit's moving us. But we're all friends here, so let's be honest. Church culture isn't exactly known for being good at letting things go. Especially not things that we've been doing for a long time, and especially not if they were successful for us at some point. If you've been in the church for any amount of time, especially if you've been on the administrative end of things, then you have almost certainly heard some version of, but this is the way we've always done it, or, but we've never done it that way before. And, you know, maybe you've been the one to say it. When it comes to worship, I'm a bit of a traditionalist, so I've almost certainly said something along those lines myself at some point. And the impulse to do that is understandable. There's comfort in the way we've always done things. There's a feeling of safety in the way that we've always done things. If it worked before, then why can't it work again? But what happens, more often than we should be comfortable with, is that we hold on to something until we have no choice but to let it go. We try for the sake of familiarity and safety and comfort to keep things alive well past the point that they've stopped bearing fruit for us. 
So it is good to have Jesus model for us that there's wisdom in knowing when it's time to let something die. It's good to be reminded that in letting something go, we might be planting seeds for greater harvests in the future. As I just said with Messy Church, letting something die doesn't mean that it won't ever be back. We are people of resurrection after all. At my last church, when I arrived, there was a feeling of obligation to do a harvest dinner because that's what we always did. But it had gotten to the point where we had no other choice. There were people willing to help, but no one wanted to lead. So we let it die. Then, a year later, there was someone in the congregation who had a passion for food service who offered to try and resurrect the harvest dinner for us. Friends, we had so many people from the community come to that dinner, so many people who hadn't passed through our doors in years, that we had to pull out extra tables out of storage in the middle of dinner to be able to seat everyone who was coming in and experiencing fellowship with us. From that experience, they went on to host other dinners, and even as the pandemic kept them from gathering indoors, they were able to host several drive-through meals in their parking lot at the end of the summer and into the early fall. Letting something go gave them the space to realize the thing that mattered about those meals wasn't the meal itself but the connection that it formed with their neighbors. Only in letting it die was it able to bear greater fruit in the future. Jesus has the benefit of being both God and human. So his discernment is much clearer than ours. He needs only a moment of prayer to realize that it is time to move. It might take us a little longer to realize where the Spirit's calling us, and that's okay. We might make mistakes. We might see the Spirit moving us in one way, and we start down the road and we realize that maybe we've misread things a little bit. And that's okay too. The church has to be experimental if we are to be faithful to God. We have to be willing to take risks, to step out on faith and trust that God is working something new in us. That is, after all, the promise of God, isn't it? That God is working something new in us and in the world. God is making the new heavens and the new earth out of this earth and heavens. God is transforming and redeeming this creation that was declared good to its roots at the moment of creation. For all the suffering and the hardship that the pandemic has brought, it has given us the chance to be in prayer about the future. It's given us no choice but to step out on faith and try new things. I mean, how many of you before the pandemic would have known how to get on Facebook and watch this worship service this morning? Or how many of you would have known how to get on Zoom to join us for fellowship? We're not trying to get back to normal. The normal before the pandemic was still a state of fallenness. We are trying to enter into a new future. 
We are striving for that kingdom of God that Christ came to proclaim. We are striving for the day when all will hear and believe the good news of God's redeeming love. So as we move into the future, let us go on to do what we came to do. Let us follow wherever the Spirit is leading, whether that is into areas of strength and comfort or risk and vulnerability. God will be with us. We just need ears to hear and eyes to see where we are being led. Amen. Would you please pray with me? God, as you lead us into the new future, show us how we can serve you. Lead us in paths, whether well-worn or freshly cut, that will lead us to the fruits of your kingdom. In all things, keep us centered on your good news. Amen.